Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. And as per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community in the next little bit. Firstly, summer camp is steadily approaching, and that means we're looking for volunteers. So the camp runs the first week of July for community children in grades one through six. And really, it's one of the biggest events we have all year. And so we're in need of several adults and senior high students to lead small groups, crafts, snacks, games and activities, as well as junior high students to help out. So if you're interested or need more information, feel free to email kids at southviewchurch.com. This week, our speaker is Ernie Clausen. He and his wife, Marilyn, were international workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Peru and Spain and are now retired. And so we're thrilled to have them with us and we're excited to have Ernie teaching this week. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now, today, no matter how you are joining with us, may our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Welcome, friends. Jesus is a master storyteller, and today we want to begin a series on the stories of Jesus, and we've chosen to begin this series, The Parable of the Two Debtors, from Luke's Gospel. I have subtitled the sermon, The Extravagant Love of Jesus. The setting of the story is absolutely pivotal, so before we get into the actual story and the parable, allow me to set the scene and reconstruct the original setting. Jesus is eating in the home of a Pharisee named Simon. The Pharisees were that part of the Jewish faith that were more conservative and often very legalistic in their religious views. The actual word Pharisee means separate one. So a woman interrupts the scene. She had a bad reputation in town and was known as a sinner. She enters with an alabaster jar, a very special vial used to contain perfume. She enters, standing behind Jesus, who was probably laying on the floor with his head towards the table and his feet extended away from the table. So here we see the scene. The Pharisee Simon, Jesus, eating with Simon, and this woman interrupts the scene. She is weeping and proceeds to wipe the feet of Jesus with her tears, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet, and anointing him with perfume. The Puritan scholar Matthew Henry states as follows, none can truly perceive how precious Jesus is and the glory of the gospel, except the brokenhearted. 
This perfume was extremely valuable. We don't know the exact value, but some scholars believe that there was actually two years wages invested in this one offering. It was like a nest egg that this woman had stored up for more difficult times. But now, because of what God is doing in her heart, she pours out this perfume as an offering. Think of that for a moment. Two years of wages. The average salary in Calgary is $65,000. So we're talking approximately $130,000 value being poured out over the feet of Jesus. I was curious to investigate a little bit about the perfumes that we use today. Uh, Channel 5 is uh, a very popular perfume, probably the most popular, and they've even created a bottle that they're selling at $30,000. But that doesn't even come close to the most expensive perfume in the world, valued at $1.29 million U.S., so when I approach the scriptures, I like to use my imagination. So what I've done, and what you'll see in the slides as they come forward, is just a few of the artists' interpretation of what is happening in this gospel scene in Luke chapter 7. So we'll just take a few moments to go through these slides and just consider different aspects and different angles of the story. The first scene, the first image emphasizes the scene. The second, her brokenness. The third, her consolation. And the fourth, her vulnerability and aloneness. You should now have those four slides, those four images up on the screen. And you can see these four different interpretations of what Jesus is experiencing what the woman is experiencing, and what Simon and his friends are experiencing. If I could just mention in passing, this particular painting number four was painted by a colleague of mine, Kim Peters. She works in Madrid, Spain, and she uses her gift in art in reaching out to the artistic world. God uses all gifts and he wants us to have our gifts at his total disposition. So we come now to the reaction of the Pharisee. When the Pharisees had been invited to uh, him to say this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So I'd like for you to imagine for a moment what was appearing on Simon's face. Our text says that he muttered this under his breath to himself, uh, wondering what really was going on in Jesus' mind. And, and yet Jesus was such a keen com conversationalist, and he read people's minds and hearts through their faces so keenly. So I've put up several uh, emoji figures, and you can choose for yourself which one you think best represents 
the attitude of Simon. Although he tried to keep his thoughts to himself, Jesus, as the master reader of people's faces, quickly discerned what was going on in his mind. So then we come to this important part of our text, and I'd like to read from verses 40 to 42. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, master. And now we come to the core part of our text, the actual story or parable that Jesus used. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And by the way, the word denarii basically means a day's wages. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. So one of the things that we can reflect on about this story is the fact that sin is like a debt. All of us are debtors. Every person has a debt with God. Now, the story also would indicate that some are more indebted than others. But the fact is, all of us have a debt that is so impossible to pay that we need grace. We need someone who acts graciously towards us in forgiving that debt. So now I want for us to reflect on the next phrase in the text. And I've put up this image with this picture, do you see this woman? It's interesting that Jesus turns from talking to Simon, he directs his gaze towards the woman, but he speaks to Simon. I find this to be intriguing. Normally when we want to have special attention given, and, and, and we want our person, the person we're talking to, to capture what we're saying, we will pivot our eyes, we will look directly at him or her. But Jesus turns away from Simon, looks at the woman, and then says these words to Simon. Do you see this woman? You know, some of the questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels are truly baffling and difficult for us to grasp. Uh, if we looked superficially at this question, we would say, but of course, Jesus, he's, she is front and center in this story right now. But Simon saw a sinner. Jesus saw a woman. And Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? And then we proceed to read the following verses, verses 44 if you want to follow along in your Bible or just listen as I put them up on the screen. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. I want you to notice the contrast between the reaction of the woman and the reaction of Simon. And I've put this, this slide up so that you can appreciate this, this contrast. Simon did not offer any of the traditional and culturally appropriate protocols. For example, there was no washing of the feet, there was no kiss, there was just a number of things missing in his treatment of Jesus. And Jesus makes a sharp contrast between Simon and the woman. This is a very powerful contrast, and we need to reflect on what Jesus was saying. At that point, we come to this phrase, and uh, I'll just ask the, the next slide to come up, your sins have been forgiven. The words of Jesus directed to this woman, your sins have been forgiven. Wouldn't you love to hear those words of Jesus in your own heart and in your own spirit? My sins have been forgiven. Jesus speaks powerfully these five words to this woman, your sins have been forgiven. And Jesus today speaks to us. And if our hearts are open, we can hear his voice. Your sins have been forgiven. Now, there's a very interesting reaction to this word of comfort and of absolution. Our text goes on, and it describes the reaction of the other Jews that are sitting at the table with Simon and with Jesus. And this is what we read. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I find it fascinating that Simon had an initial negative reaction to Jesus when this woman is touching him, washing his feet, bathing his feet. Simon muttered under his breath, this man can't be a prophet. Certainly he would know what kind of a woman this is, that she's a sinner. And now we see Simon's croonies, his friends. Jesus has just uttered forgiveness to this woman. And what's their reaction? Not one of celebration. They question, who is this man who forgives sins? C.S. Lewis, the important English author and apologist, says that when Jesus declares the forgiveness of sins, it's one of his clearest uh, ways of identifying himself as God in the flesh. Because only God can forgive sins. And when Jesus declares this absolution, implicitly he is identifying himself as deity. 
The Jews picked up on this, and that why, that's why they had this negative reaction. Then Jesus turns to the woman, and he just basically avoids this controversial uh, reaction of the other Jews and says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'd like to sum up this story with this following slide. Here we have key, three key words that sum up this story. We have a moneylender who very graciously forgives two debtors, one with 500 denarii's debt, the other with 50. But it's grace that's operative in the forgiveness of them both. Then we see the reaction of the woman, her reaction of faith. And what does faith mean for this woman? There's an attitude, obviously, of brokenness, of repentance, of turning, and actually what may have been uh, her source of income, she actually realizes that now she needs to part with this. So she breaks that alabaster jar, and she pours out that perfume on the feet of Jesus. All of this is this powerful imagery of the, the whole nature of repentance. And then, and that's involved, and that's the essence of faith, turning away from ourselves and turning towards God. And then finally, the key word, peace. These three words sum up the gospel. God's grace, our response by faith, and then the reaction of peace, peace with God. And when that happens in our lives, when we experience the grace of God, when we experience and place our faith in Jesus Christ, and then experience his peace, as a response, there's an overflow of love, extravagant love. It's very interesting when we look at the various gospel accounts of the story of this woman. And there's some discrepancy as to whether in fact these are exact parallels or not. But in the Mark's version of the story, Jesus finishes off by saying, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I'm a preacher. And I am intrigued by what Jesus says about this incident. This is the only time that Jesus actually highlights a particular activity of somebody else and honors and dignifies it by saying wherever and whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be mentioned. Honorary mention. What is so important about what this woman did? And I believe the essence of it is this. When we experience the extravagant love of God, our response is one of extravagant love back to him and then overflowing towards others. And so we fulfill those two great commandments. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and we love our neighbor as ourselves. What a beautiful bridge this provides for us to turn to the time of communion. 
This time is a time when we remember who Jesus is. We remember that his body was broken for us. And as I've tried to represent by the image that you see on the screen, why did Jesus choose the bread and the wine to remember, to symbolize what he had done? If you think carefully, the wheat that is necessary for bread has to be pulverized and broken. And then when it's ground into flour, it produces bread. And the grapes, they need to be treaded on. They need to be pulverized. And then wine is produced. And the scriptures say, Jesus referring, the prophet Isaiah referring to Jesus in the gospel, in the gospel of Isaiah chapter 53, talks about, Jesus' body being bruised and broken for us. And so we have these symbols to remember who Jesus is. His body was broken. His blood was shed. So I want to encourage you to take the recipient that you have, and we're going to participate now in remembering the broken body, the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we do that, and as you take the elements with you now, I would just like to take a word, a moment, and lead us in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for all that you did. When your body was broken on that cross, when your blood was shed, Lord, as we remember this woman and the extravagant love that she demonstrated, towards you. We as well want to remember what you have done and imitate and follow that woman in expressing extravagantly our love, our wonder, our appreciation. In the name of Jesus. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord, for this cup. Thank you in Jesus' name. I'm so glad that you were able to join us today for this online liturgy, and I want to conclude our time with this word of blessing for you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide on each one of you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.